Hey guys, welcome to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? And actually, I'm jumping on here real quick to let you know that this isn't a brand new episode. This is an episode that I've had in the archive for quite some time now, at least five months. Uh, it's an episode that sort of slipped through the cracks or with all the different releases, and I wanted to get it out before our 50th. We're approaching our 50th episode, everybody, which is super exciting. I can't believe we've done 50 of these. Uh, oh, wow. I'm in my new place here in uh, Los Angeles, and I left some of the windows open, and uh, there was someone just screaming by in a Mercedes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I wanted to get this episode out because it's a good one, and I wanted it out before we get to our 50th. And I'm treating our 50th episode as a whole new start. It's a brand new season, if you want to look at it that way. It's a brand new series. Uh, now that I'm out here in Los Angeles, we have a lot of really cool guests on the show. The show's going to get bigger, more exciting, more dynamic. Um, so I'm really excited to present some of the new stuff to you guys. But before we get to the new stuff, I got to wrap out all this old stuff. And this is a great episode. And I'm kind of a dickhead for not putting it out earlier. And I apologize to our guest. It should have been out a lot sooner than this. Um, but this is an episode that you guys asked for. Uh, I had a uh, pretty good response from you months and months ago. And you guys were like, look, we need to get nerdy. We need to understand some really cool tech stuff. And it's like, okay, we can do that. Um, so you asked for it. And here it is. An episode on color grading. listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's happening? What's new? Uh, today's episode, I hope you're ready for it. It's a very nerdy, techie episode. Uh, it is with the amazing senior colorist over at Company 3. Now, if you are someone that listens to the show and you're not in the film industry, uh, this show and this episode is very technical it's very nerdy. Um, if you want to learn a little bit about how uh, movies are colored and the process of how movies are colored, stick around. There's a lot of interesting stuff, um, but I'll say this. It is a nerdy episode, so get ready for it. Um, but uh, Drew is an amazing guy. I met him about a year ago uh, when uh, I was lucky enough to get him to color grade Who's There? And I know I haven't released the full short film yet, but if you've seen the trailer, you see how amazing the colors are. Now, a lot of that, and I'm not going to give him full credit because he's already got a huge ego, but a lot of that has to do with David Cruda and his amazing work. But a lot of that also has to do with this fantastic grading work that uh, Drew has done for us. Um, and uh, I was really lucky to be able to go and hang out at Company 3 in New York City um, and this is one of the premier color grading facilities in the world. Like these guys work on everything. And uh, it's one of those places that you go in and you have to like sign a non-disclosure non agreement as you walk in there because there's a ton of stuff that's happening and being worked on. Um, and they respect everybody's privacy, which is super cool. Um, but they do like Michael Bay stuff. I mean, let's see here. Like Drew himself, just a, a couple of the projects that he's worked on. Uh, that uh, Fry Doc that uh, was on Netflix that everybody was dirty about, he did that. Uh, he color grades the Purge TV show. He's been doing CBS's uh, Blue Bloods, Meadowland. 
I mean, he does a ton of shows, a ton of movies, a ton of indies. Um, and the guy, it, like, it shows when you sit in the room with him. He's fast. He's really fast. Um, and he's really good at what he does. So uh, I know I had a bunch of requests from you guys to get a great air colorist on the show and talk about that, get a little nerdy about that. Um, I talk with him about uh, workflow. I talk with him about how uh, filmmakers can meet uh, a good colorist and interact with a colorist. I talk about what he prefers from DPs and young DPs uh, and uh, when he likes to get involved with a shoot. Um, it's, it's a really good episode. Um, it's a great episode for tech stuff. Uh, I learned a lot just listening to him on it. So, uh, yeah. And I just want to say I really appreciate you guys tuning in and checking things out. And like I've said since the beginning on this, epi- on this podcast, I'm going to do a variety of different episodes. Some of them will be fun. Some of them will be more uh, lifestyle-based. And then some of them, like this one, will get very techy. Can't wait for you to hear it, and I won't hold you up that much longer. I will just say this, though. Uh, I have been really appreciating the fact that you guys have been following us on Instagram, and if you haven't yet, go to In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P.O.D. Follow us there. Uh, And because of the attention that you've been giving us, uh, we've been getting more sponsors. We have some new sponsors for this episode of the show. I'm very excited about that because it enables me to continue to do this podcast and I can't do that without you so whenever I start posting about new sponsors and if you're interested in that stuff definitely go through the links in my Instagram bio because uh, they'll know when you're coming from us uh, and that's really important because if they see traffic coming their way from the show they'll continue to stick around as sponsors um, and that is the best way to help support us all right so that's it man let's get right into this episode so you know the deal go find yourself a nice dark area to sit around shut off all the lights pour yourself a good beer get yourself a nice ipa throw on those noise canceling headphones sit back relax and enjoy the new episode of the love of the process Hey, Drew, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, no problem at all. I'm uh, excited to have you on the show. We've been trying to, <laughs> we've been trying to make this happen for a few weeks now because uh, you're a busy dude, and I really appreciate you taking the time, my man. No problem. I'm glad we were able to get a time and get it done. So, uh, so the audience knows we met, how long has it been now? It's been almost a year since we hung out, right? It's been yeah, a while. I think it was like... 11 months, like last June, or right, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, Drew actually did all the color grading on Who's There for me. And it was an awesome thing that you did it. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to actually come down to New York City, hang out at Company 3, and uh, see how you guys work. It's, it's a fucking crazy uh, workflow sort of like business that you guys have going over there. It's pretty awesome. Cool, man. Thank you. Uh, so the audience knows you're a senior colorist, 
Um, And uh, just sort of explain to maybe some of the viewers or the listeners that aren't in the film business, what is a colorist? What do you do? Uh, So the colorist is the person who applies the color, which is the final step before something goes out to broadcast or film. Um, We basically take the image and manipulate it so we can either brighten it, darken it, add warmth, blue. Um, I can add windows. I can isolate things. uh, And we just um, make the image look as as awesome as possible. And this is a, I would say it's it's not new, but... It really, within how, like, color, digital coloring has really picked up over the past, well, like, 15 years? What was, like, the first big movie that they did? The first big one was Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? And I think right. like 2000. Um, but people were color correcting like this on telecines before that, you know. But that was just a, a film-to-tape workflow. The first full DI was, uh, yeah, Oh, Brother. First credit right. with Oh, Brother, yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's an interesting thing because it's been changing so much as far as like the digital technology is concerned, as far as like how cameras are capturing things in different formats, uh, and it's been shifting a lot. And it seems to uh, over the past, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but over the past like five six years, it seems to be leveling out and, and making a little bit more sense than it used to, right? There's um there's always some sort of evolution, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, there's still emerging cameras. I mean, Sony's just coming out with the Venice in the last year or so. Um, right. Red's always seems to be putting out a new camera. So there's, there's still plenty of evolution, but, uh, uh, so I, I don't think we'll ever really level out, but it's not been as crazy of changes, I would say in the last couple of years. Right, 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 right. That's cool, man. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, as far as like, I'm trying to get really specific here for, like I said, for people who just don't know, like when you're shooting, oftentimes you're shooting images that are either flat or they have more information stored in the files. So that way in post-production, you can start to either dial down your highlights, bring up your shadows. Um, and it also enables you to tweak the different colors and you can be incredibly specific about color contrast and what is saturated and what isn't saturated and go even further than that, correct? Yes. I mean, most cameras capture what's called log, which is the image that contains all that. And then footage usually gets colored twice, once for the dailies and then once again for you know the full finishing. Uh, and dailies is a whole range these days. Some people just use a LUT on set. Other people have a DIT on set who will manipulate right there with the DP. And then other people will send the footage to a facility and then have the dailies colored and then sunk to sound and then it all goes to editing. So how did you get, like, you've been doing this for a while now. How long have you been a colorist? Uh, well, I've been a colorist full-time, I think, since 2013. Um, I've been with Company 3 since 2006. Holy crap, man. And then why colorist? Why did you decide to get into this business? It's just, I, I just love the speed of it. You know, it's, you know, average DI would be anywhere 40 to 120 hours. And it, it, I just love that I'm able to kind of, have my hands on every shot in the whole film um, and I can do an entire movie in a in, in two weeks and I, I'm able to actually just move from a lot of different projects film television commercials um, and I just I just it's just my speed you know like I, I, I joke just sometimes it's like it, it'd be hard for me to like animate like a t-rex for like half a year you know like I just don't have the patience to do that <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. So it's all about the speed for you is what you were saying. That's interesting. Because, yeah, because if you get into CGI stuff, then you're sort of trapped. You're trapped doing 
all of those subtle details over and over and over for weeks and weeks and weeks. Right? Yeah, and I just love the visual, like just coming up with a look and creating a look and making something just look absolutely beautiful and just collaborating and, and, and just, just you know, at the end of a film or a TV show, just coming away and like just, you know, really being proud of, of something that, that we made, you know? And it's really the sexiest stage. I mean, from a filmmaker's standpoint, you go in there and, and normally what happens is I'm usually editing on an indie level. I don't have all my dailies graded or any of that. So I'm usually editing on a LUT or, or on a uh, log look, a very flat look. Um, and then you sort of become accustomed to this look over the months or the weeks or however long it takes you to do it. And then uh, we go and hang out. Like I go and see you and over the course of the afternoon, like all these images are polished. Like the contrast is like beautiful. The color contrast is gorgeous. Uh, it's the sexiest stage, man. It's the coolest part cool. in my mind. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a, I've never, I don't think heard it called sexy, but I like that. I'll use that. <laughs> you should. <laughs> should be on the front page of the website. Come yeah. get the sexiest stage done. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, what is the uh, so what is the process? So I'm a filmmaker, right? Yeah. And uh, I've finished my film. Uh, I have picture lock because you have to have picture lock because you can't change the edit in theory, right? Well, you can. Um, you're just swapping shots and coloring more stuff than you need to. Yeah, it becomes a pain in the ass, right? Yep. Um, so then I have everything in picture lock, and then I'm going to work with you. What is the next steps? Like, what are the steps that are going to go through for that? Um, there's this day and age, you know, there's a bunch of ways to do stuff, but I'll give you the most efficient way is that if you turn over an EDL to us and your camera media, I'll then have someone go and conform the TV show or the movie based on your EDL and your rough cut and match it all. So I get the full camera negative. And then once that's all edited together, it comes to me and I get to start coloring it. Now, do you prefer, uh, do you prefer to set looks? And I guess the question is how often do you get the opportunity to set looks before the film starts shooting. Do you ever get to work with DPs ahead of time and start to like uh, set looks or create logs and stuff? Yeah, like that? the earlier you can get involved, like the DP and the colorist, the the more streamlined everything's going to be. So like, the best is always to start with like a camera test, right? So if you're going to shoot a film and you're going to shoot like a camera test, you could just get it could be multiple formats, multiple lenses, and just kind of do stuff. You know, mimic lighting that you think might happen at certain points in the film or mimic a certain look, you're kind of having that discussion early on. So mm -hmm. then you can kind of see what you're capable of on the tests. And obviously the tests aren't ever a perfect translation into the, the actual content itself, but at least you, you know, you started that dialogue and you have an idea of where it's all going. And then I like to do is, especially if we're doing dailies, get stills on a regular basis during the shoot. So I can kind of see what the, the practical application of it all turns into. And then like, I'll stay in contact with the DP and just talk about certain looks. Oh, did you like this? Did you make this dark for a reason? And just kind of have a sense of all the different scenes and, and, and how they're going to look. Mm. Yeah. Cause that's one thing that I found as a shooter myself and as uh, I, I am a cinematographer, but not on the level of, of uh, like Cruda, like David Cruda or anything like that. But one thing I do notice is that when you're shooting digital and you're dealing with log and I'm dealing with raw stuff, um, I prefer to shoot with some sort of LUT, whether we create a LUT or we, whether we use some sort of package LUT to start, just because it helps with lighting. Uh, it helps with For like sure. actually setting the look when you're lighting, because I feel like 
if you're just sort of playing the game, and I think early on in the digital world, the DITs and the the, um, the onset digital techs were all very sort of focused on the raw image and making sure that the levels are correct, making sure your waveform's right. right. But when you're when you're doing like very sort of even like especially if you're doing like a noir or if you're doing something like heavy contrast, um, it's nice to have. It's nice to be able to see that contrast when you're putting that light together and yeah, you're dialing yeah. it in. Definitely. And then um, the other thing you could do also from the camera test is you can help create LUTs that you guys have on set, like specific to that show. So you kind of just have like a strong contrast. You have one for day, one for night, and stuff like that. And so the, for the people at, at home that don't know, um, a LUT, a lookup table, is essentially uh, basically a rough version of what the color correct will be that is just previewed on the monitor. It's not actually baked into the footage. Correct. So when you're actually shooting with it, if you're adjusting the lights on set or if you're adding color on the set, you can see, in theory, how it's going to be affected by what the grade or what that grade at that point is going to be. Um, and it helps you dial them in. Because if you ever look at a, what, we, what we've been calling a log image or a flat image, it's like very low contrast um, and often just desaturated colors. It's really difficult to work with. Um, and that's why they developed LUTs, which I think now most monitors can can handle a LUT in the monitor. And then there are cameras like the Alexas, um, and I, the Reds do it as well, where they'll actually preview out a LUT to the monitors without baking it to it. Um, but yeah, a little bit of technical background in the back. Well, let's let's not get nerdy. Let's get not get too nerdy. Uh, how did you get started, man? Where'd you go to school? Like, how'd you get in the business? I went to Clark University. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little liberal arts school up in uh, school up in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, I just went for film and film theory, and then um, I started a company three as a film scanner. So overnights, I would take the film, put it in the scanner, and scan it for all the shows the next day, and do like a rough conform and everything, and just making sure that like all the footage looks good, all the scans are proper, and you know you're creating that log scan off the the negative and just, you know, making sure it's prepped for the next day. You know, this was, you know, like I said, back in 2006, 2007. So it was before most mm -hmm. digital cameras were prominent and out there, especially for the quality they are today. Yeah. And then what was, so what made you go to film school? Was it like, were you, did you want to become a post person? Did you want to become a director? Like what was this, what was the origin? I always film? just, loved watching movies and I guess I just never knew what exactly I wanted to do in life. So when, you know, you're 17 and they ask you, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just love movies. So I made sure to find a school that had some sort of film program. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it, it's, I fell in love with post when I started uh, making my own stuff. And I, I always just like the editing process was just a really beautiful way to kind of just see it come like be creating like mm -hmm. you're taking different shots putting it together and actually telling a story so i fell in love with post early on and then i fell in love with color after i started at company three it's so cool man and all right so what what were your favorite movies like what were your original favorite movies that you got like really got you into it uh the one that the one movie that i'll always remember that blew my mind was the the first matrix film just i remember <laughs> seeing that in in the theaters, like the day it came out and not really knowing what I was getting into and like, just, you know, mind blown. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, like basically I think I went back and saw it the next day again. Um, and then just as 
yeah, I don't know. I guess that really piqued my interest uh, from the technical side of stuff. And then I kind of gradually got more into film history, you know, started watching the Godfathers and Apocalypse mm-hmm. Nows of the world. Uh, I always loved Pulp Fiction uh, in high school and through college. Huge fan of Star Wars films. So a little bit of everything for me. Well, it makes sense. A little bit of sense that The Matrix was the first one that really did it for you because that movie in itself was such a revolutionary VFX sort of post-effects film. That right. was huge, yeah. dude. You know, with the bullet time uh, stuff that they were doing and even the even the grading on that movie where they were doing all that green hue kind of stuff, yeah. which was which was then ripped off out of everything, everything. in the 2000s. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's really funny, speaking of that, it's funny to see these these trends that seem to come out of the grading in, in cinema. You know, you had, like, the blue, green, and some of, the, like, the blue underworld look that was all over, like, the 2000s. Um, and then you get into, like, the Michael Bay's, like, yellows, like, like little red, big blue, punchy blue, yellow, like... Uh, uh, blockbuster looks that he was doing for a while. Yeah. Um, do you do you notice these trends, and or is it just me just being really nerdy about seeing? Yeah, this I shit? Mean, it's it's tr- trends is a pretty broad term. You know, they're like certain filmmakers definitely have their looks. Hmm. Um. It, uh, yeah, I guess you know, and then if you can kind of like once you start like digging into the indie world versus the blockbuster world, there's so many looks going on. You know, and yeah, when people were experimenting with different like uh, digital cameras in the like 2000s and 2010, you know, like it wasn't what the Alexa was now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, for you, what is your? Do you just are you just very specific to each of the jobs, or do you do any sort of like artistic homework? Are you someone that that looks places for color, or are you always just looking at the image and processing the image the way you see it, like? What's your process? Uh, it's just a little bit of everything, not to be too generic, but if it's a certain filmmaker I'm working with, a DP I've worked with before, I'll kind of have an, a sense or an idea of what that DP's eye is like. So we mm-hmm. can kind of start moving in that direction. If it's a new filmmaker I've never worked with before, it's fun to kind of explore and you can try different looks and see what they respond to and see if stuff you know should come up warmer, darker, cooler. Um, and... The other part of it is is if, if you could read a script and watch the movie and, and kind of understand like narratively like important scenes like make sense for it to be warmer if it's happier. You know, I mean, that's just such a very, very broad general way of saying it. But um, yeah, it's just so it's just a lot of different factors that come together to kind of help create it. And also you want to look pretty. You want to look good. You don't want to like mess it up. (laughs) Exactly. And then there's that whole psychology behind color too. Uh, And I don't have it in front of me, but different colors evoke different emotions and uh, like... uh, Red is passion. Exactly. And then what is... Is yellow hunger? I forget. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Um, A lot of that stuff tends to come through though on like production design. Like, you know, Kubrick and his reds and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Um, so what, what is a normal grading process like? So are you usually dealing with the DP or are you just sitting in with the producers? Like, how does it work for you? 
Uh, every show is unique, but you always try to get the DP as involved as possible because they're ultimately the ones who created the image. So you want to have his or her input, um, knowing what, what their thought was when they lit the scene and pointed the camera how they did, you know? And mm-hmm. so they're always the best ones to have next to you. Uh, and then you, you, your hope is that here in the room that the director and the DP are on the same page. And then, you know, the three of you can kind of work off each other and help sculpt that look. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain, like, TV shows where uh, you do a bunch and the DP's like, hey, I trust you, I know what to do. And then the producer will come in and just kind of give you notes and supervise and make sure that you're in the right zone. Right. And then most of the time are those notes... Are those notes just like certain vignetting or like, hey, we need to make sure that this actor looks decent? Yeah, it could or, be anything or, there, you know, other stuff where there's like, oh, there's um, like a logo on the shirt you need to darken because I don't have clearance for that. There's stuff like that. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then uh, for a lot of folks that have never been in a professional coloring suite, it's a, it's a fascinating place. Like they're, uh, what is the, like you're supposed to have the room at like a neutral gray or something like that for your eyes. Is that, is that true? Or? Yeah, there's a whole, it's it's a bunch of different things. There's the wall, the color of the wall behind the, the monitor. There's lighting that goes behind the monitor and certain lighting that goes on the ceiling. Uh, I won't bore everyone with tech specs, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause ultimately it's all about the fact that your eye starts to adjust because our eyes have like the, the world's best auto white balance in them. So yeah. like they, they start to play tricks on you, especially if you're sitting in a, in a color suite for as many hours as you are. Like, how do you deal with that fatigue? Do you, take breaks or like do you notice it or how does that work? it's just uh just years of, of practice and learning to be honest you know it's just it's like anything getting my ten thousand hours in <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah i've learned from some just amazing colorists and and yeah it's it's what i just do every day it's it's what i eat breathe drink you know <laughs> well it's obvious man because when we were hanging out there you were you were fucking fast like yeah. It was really fast, dude. And I, I mean, granted, our film was like under 10 minutes or whatever it was, but um, it was really quick. I was really astounded. And it was actually a lot of fun. It was fun to sit in the space, uh, see you interact. Cruda uh, was there with us who yep. shot it. Um, and uh, I think it was a really interesting thing to be a part of it. Honestly, I was just, I was there for the ride, you know? No, was, for we, sure. No, I think we, and we came up, I love the way that, that piece looks, uh, man. It's awesome. Dude, it was so rad. You did such a killer job, and Cruda did such a fantastic job with the lighting. Um, really, really awesome. And, you know, he had, actually, he had a couple questions for me. Let me ask. Sure. Let me dig these up, because he was like, ask these questions. All right, I'm just going to read verbatim. I would like to hear his take on working with DPs, uh, but for me, I'd like to know the things that a colorist wants from the people that are sitting in the room with them. Uh, what do you need from them to do your job best is what he was saying. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it's just that kind of like the earlier on the collaboration, the better. And what I love is like if um, DPs or creatives can give me some sort of reference ahead of time, like whether it's, it could be a work of art they like that they kind of have a vibe for or another movie they like that helps influence them. So like references like that and I can like look at and, and then like I'll ask like, hey, what do you like about that shot? Do you like that? That it's the back is blown out. Do you like that? You know, you, the face is half in shadow and then I can kind of work off details like that to help sculpt the look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very specific references are great. And that's interesting because at that point you're really just sort of trying to figure out the barometer for what their taste is at, at that point. Right. Correct? Exactly. 
Because color, yeah. you know, color language is a funny thing. Everyone uses different words to describe color. And I'm, you know, after doing it for so long, I pretty much understand most people, but visual references are always a super huge help because then I can interpret it my own way as well. Yeah, of course, of course. And then, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize with any technician, the reason why you're working, the reason why we work with you, the reason why you're working or I work with Cruda is because you're, you want their taste too. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. Oftentimes, oftentimes as a director, you don't have the fucking answer for it. And you're like, can you show me what you think? And I, I can't understand why these two shots don't cut together well. You know, what do you think that is? Um, and your experience is, is huge for that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and then there's, it's weird because there's two different sides. It seems like there's two different sides to your job. There's like the very artistic side, which is using taste and emotion as you sort of look at these images and do it. And then there's the very nerdy engineer sort of technical side, which is working with uh, waveform monitors and video scopes and doing all that. Like, how do you balance between the two of those? That's just it. You have to balance. We're right where... The, the tech does meet the creative side of it. So it's, it's just being as well-versed as possible in both and then trying to blend them. You know, like I, you try not to, like, I don't find it fun to sit in the room and just talk about tech all day. I think the creative side in the process is the more fun part of it. But then when I have to, when people need the knowledge, it's good to have the tech knowledge. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to, like, sit there and be like, oh, yeah, look at my vector scope. Let's go for that blue. You know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 look at the screen. Like, I want that blue, <laughs> like, the, the rich sky there, you know? Right, right. And then the scopes basically help you out on a couple different factors, right? So, A, whatever sort of broadcast specs or whatever sort of specs that you have to deal with as far as, like, what your brights are and what your darks are. Is that still really a thing these days with like with the high definition, or was that more old school? No, that was more old school, but it's still there just to tell you like technically what's coming out of your screen. You know, um, right. if you're blowing out a white, they'll tell you if you're at peak white or not, something like that. And so now, are you just using a lot of the scopes and stuff just for uh, continuity and consistency over coverage scenes or shots oh, and stuff like that? A little bit of that, yeah. It's just it's always good to have it. And then, you know, if your monitor's doing something wonky, your scope can also be another barometer to tell you what's going on. Like my room, I have multiple monitors in it, so it's usually not a problem. But <laughs> Yeah, because the monitor thing is a huge deal. And I always, I always chuckle about it because the few times I've done both digital grading and then uh, sound mixing, you end up going to like your place. Your place is like sitting in a fucking Cadillac. You know what I mean? You're in the best space looking at a fantastic monitor and it's like the picture is never going to look this good. And then it's the same thing with certain sound studios too where you go in and the sound's amazing. You're like, it's never going to sound this great. Right. And I know uh, there are certain sound engineers that will literally play the same mix through like the shittiest speakers that they have to see how it reacts at the low end. Are you, are you, show, are you always testing that too? Are you testing the way it looks on your big monitor, but also how it looks on your iPhone and like, how does that? I'm not looking at the iPhone. Like we'll have our, um, our main production monitor and then I'll also keep a consumer monitor, but like it's a calibrated consumer monitor because yep. if you like, you know, the example you used the sound mixer, putting it through the shittiest speakers, I can't account for a shitty picture. Like there's so many out, like they, literally when you take a TV home, it comes out of the box incorrectly. Yeah. So I, and who knows what people are looking at. I unfortunately just can't account for everybody, you know, as much as I'd like to, but that's right. why you can only account for the most professional thing and, and let it be basically. 
Yeah, that's that's cool. It like for because in the small amounts of like my own grading that I've done, it's always like okay, I have to try to get a great color uh, calibrated monitor, and that was a huge search to find one that works perfectly. And then you're, I mean, a lot of a lot of like the corporate shit that I'll end up doing is for iPhones and cell phones and all that shit. So you're also like testing how it looks in the RGB lens, the sRGB landscape on a phone or on a laptop. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think the most difficult portion of color grading is all the tech stuff. It's whether you're dealing with conforming and, and uh, making sure that uh, the edit is correct and the EDL is correct, and then just making sure that it looks good on all sorts of different devices. Because I've sent footage out to clients, and clients are like, it looks like shit. I'm like, what are you looking at it on? <laughs> like, well, right, yeah, that's always the most important thing, too, is to color what you're grading for. So if you're grading for cinema, you should be coloring in a theater. Coloring for TV, you should be on a broadcast monitor. Et cetera, et cetera. Right, because there's a big difference between cinema and television stuff, right? Yep. I mean, essentially, yeah. you know, if you think about it, when you're in a theater, it's projecting light and then reflecting back to you where a TV monitor is just blasting light at you. Right, right. So it's all the reflected light when you're in the cinema. That's fascinating. And then uh, I, I remember, and I'm not going to remember, I don't, even, I don't remember the specifics, but when Fincher was grading... Um, seven, and he was talking about trying to make his blacks as black as possible because he was saying, at the time, I think it was he was still doing prints, film prints, and he was saying that he could never get true blacks when he was doing his film prints because there's still light being pushed through it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so he was doing some like really weird uh, chemical processing to try to make his blacks as black as possible. And then when you went and saw his films, if you saw Seven in the theater, or if you saw like uh, Panic Room, his the room was really dark. Mm-hmm. Like the cinema was dark because of that. It was pretty cool shit, you know. It's amazing. I, you got to send it to me. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, dude, there's a really great commentary on the special edition for Seven where they talk about it and they get really detailed on it. Oh, cool! I have that. I got to check it out. Dude, check it out. And then I think he talks about it on I think Panic Room. And actually, while we're getting nerdy about that, Panic Room, there's a really cool special edition DVD. I think it's a DVD. It might be Blu-ray now, but that's floating around. And I think I had it on DVD. It was like four discs. And there was this really great, talking about post-production here, there was this really great sequence on the DVD where he shot multicam for Panic Room. He had like four or five different cameras set up. And they just did a, like a picture-in-picture window of all the camera setups for one of the takes. And I think it was like... Uh, when uh, Jared Leto catches on fire from the um, the propane tank that catches on fire. And you're just looking at these five cameras on the screen and they all have Fincher lenses on them. So they're like, you know, 35, 39, like really semi-wide lenses. And most of, as the take begins, you see Jared Leto in the close-up on the first one and all the other images just, they look like shit. There's, there's nothing to them. And as the scene continues, you see him walk through these other cameras, this other coverage, and you see exactly where the David Fincher moments are. Uh, the dude was a fucking genius with that shit. Oh, man. that's so cool. Uh, really cool stuff. So for you guys listening at home, honestly, the best film school possible is DVD commentary, Blu- Blu-ray commentaries, and Blu-ray extras. If you can find really good stuff, like all of Fincher stuff's really fantastic. Um, I know some of Ridley Scott's, like I just went through the three and a half, four hour uh, behind the scenes piece on Prometheus that is fucking amazing. Nice. 
Dude, you talk about nerdy. You want to get nerdy about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're spot on where it is the great film school, a great resource of, of how stuff gets done. It's, it's awesome. Okay, guys, it's the future me again, and I'm here to give you uh, my sponsor reads. And I'm really excited to continue to have sponsorships from a lot of these people. And then, like I said, the 50th episode is coming. We're going to have brand new sponsors. We're going to have brand new cool shit to talk about. Um, But let's get to it. First up, the guys that have been with me since the beginning, the boys from Puget Systems. If you're in the market for a brand new computer, like if you're a photographer, if you're a filmmaker, if you're an editor, if you're a music producer, or if you're just a gamer, and you want to buy a machine that is fast and affordable, and you don't want to pay all that money for the unpacking, whatever bullshit that a lot of this stuff is. You know, those like unboxing videos. Like you're spending all this money on just the boxes for a lot of this stuff. Anyway, uh, go check out PugetSystems.com. At PugetSystems.com, you can select a computer uh, actually based upon the programs that you're going to use or the programs that you do use. You can go through and choose which program you want. Uh, and then they'll give you a baseline system that will work fantastic for what your needs are. And then here's the best part about these guys. They like to talk to their customers. They like to talk to people. Um, They're a smaller company, which means that you actually get people on the phone, real people on the phone. um, So you can tell them exactly what it is that you're gonna build, exactly what it is that you need. You know, like what kind of system do you want? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but really every program uses hardware differently. So like if you're gonna build an After Effects machine, you should probably tweak the hardware for After Effects. If you're gonna build a Premiere machine, then you should probably tweak your hardware for Premiere. Um, there are ways to build a sort of like a middle of the road machine that'll sort of do everything okay and well. Um, but let's be real, you know, we're talking about professionals here. We're talking about people that really want these things to keep up. There's nothing fucking worse than when you're trying to play back something in your timeline and it won't play back or it lags or you have to render something. (sighs) Just build a sweet machine. Now, the cool thing about Puget System stuff, it's incredibly affordable, it's upgradable, and their customer service kicks ass. I'm telling you, their customer service is amazing. Uh, I mean, how many years did I have Apple Care? And the one time I had to use it, I was running around the fucking bush and waiting for people it was just such a pain in my fucking ass and then you're not actually talking to a human being so um definitely check them out that's kind of a half-ass read but they're really cool i love these guys i've been cutting everything that i've done on a puget systems pc um so if you're in the market for it i highly suggest you go look them up and tell them that i sent you uh and the best way to check out any of our sponsor stuff guys is uh in the links on our website or in the link in my instagram bio at mike petchy on instagram or in love of the process pod on instagram there you'll be able to click a link and you'll get direct links to all of our sponsors all the stuff that we're talking about on the show all right next up these guys uh started with me i don't know a few months ago and they've just renewed their sponsorship with us uh quasar science Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but one of the coolest advancements in the movie business over the past four or five years has been lighting. Lighting has gotten to be one of the most amazing things that are happening right now. And a lot of it has to do with LED lights. 
Um, with LED lighting, they're cooler lights, meaning that they don't get as hot on set. You can actually handle them with your bare hands while you're, while you're moving them around, while they're on. Um, a lot of these lights are battery powered right now, which are amazing. Um, and if you're on, in the market for an amazing true color, bi-color or even rainbow color LED unit, definitely check out Quasar Science. And if the, I know that there are a lot of professionals that listen to the show. I know there's a lot of gaffers that listen to the show and they're all like, yes, Quasar is the light. Everybody has it. It's on every truck. It's on every shoot. I've seen amazing rigs set up on Hollywood productions where they build walls of these things and they're all chainable. They're all programmable. So you can like run patterns through them, different color stuff through them. They're amazing, but you don't have to be working at that level to get these lights. There's a lot of you younger uh, videographers and young photographers uh, that are like, what should I have in my kit? Keep your kit small, keep your kits easy to maneuver and move around. And the cool thing about these Quasar tubes uh, is that they're lightweight. Uh, you don't need a massive road case for them. You don't need a ton of room in your car for them, which is a big thing for a lot of people. Um, and uh, like I said, some of them are battery powered. Uh, and if you do have to plug them in, they barely take any power of juice. You can run a lot of them on a circuit in a the house. They're really amazing. I love them. Uh, I think I've got a, a few of the two foot tubes. The guy's gonna send me some new units, which I'll talk about uh, in the upcoming episodes. But uh, check them out. That's Quasar Science. I think it's quasarscience.com. I should know that before I'm reading this. What a piece of shit. Um, but check them out. Love them. Uh, next up, my good buddies over at Rule Boston Camera. Now, if you are an independent filmmaker, if you're a DP, if you're a photographer, I highly suggest you make a great relationship with your local rental house because it's impossible to keep up with the tech. It really is. Like every year there's a new codec, every year there's a new camera, every year there's a new upgrade. And so if you're going to drop big loot on some big toy like that, um, chances are you're not going to be able to pay it off before everybody wants the newest and greatest thing, which is usually the year after that. So I gave up on trying to buy and keep up with the biggest cameras in the market right at this point. I just make good friends with my rental companies. Um, and when I'm on the East Coast, um, always hanging out with the boys at Rule Boston Camera. They are the best when it comes to the newest and greatest gear on the market. Um, they also like to train. They have training seminars and they love to work with independent filmmakers. This is a big thing for them. Um, and I know when you're younger, you're sort of like, oh, Jesus, how hard is it to get an account at a rental house and what kind of insurance do I need? Uh, these guys are very easy to work with. You can talk to them. Um, they'll suggest you different insurance policies to get to get your gear. It's really cool, really awesome. And, and here's the thing I love the most about it is that these guys have on their shelves all the equipment that they use to make all these big movies, all these things that inspire you uh, to do your work. So you can actually go in there and get trained on it. You know, you can get trained on the same gear that was used to shoot Mad Max. You could use the same lenses. Holy shit, what is going on outside? This is the first time that I'm doing this in this room. And for the love of God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, if you're on the East Coast, go to Rule Boston Camera. They are the best um, for rental stuff above New York. Um, and then um, if not, 
you know, make a relationship with your local rental house. I'm actually going to try to make some new relationships here in California. Hopefully I'll have some people to talk about on the show. I'll let you know what places I like to use. And honestly, if you're a fan of the show and you listen to the show and you work out here in Los Angeles, I'm looking for suggestions. If there's a rental house that you love, uh, throw me an email, throw me a note on any of the Instagram accounts and let me know who you guys love and who you guys use. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Okay, so we got Rule down there, we got Quasar down, and we got Puget down. Like I said, I've got a bunch of new sponsors on the way, and if you want to support the show, there are a couple ways to do it. If you were listening to our recent travel episode, you heard that uh, we have a deal with Capital One. If you are somebody who uh, isn't an asshole with their finances, and that means that you, you don't, like you can plan out your spending, um, but if you can't, if you find yourself in debt and you don't know how to plan out your stuff, then don't listen to me on this. Don't do this. Um, but if you're somebody that is looking to get a credit card because you have a new business, uh, you need a business card to do stuff in general. I, I like to put all my rentals on my credit cards just because I know that my clients going to take forever to pay sometimes. And it's really great. And it's not coming out of my rent. You know what I mean? It's not coming out of my like spending accounts. Um, uh, check it out. You can go to the link in our Instagram bio. And there, if you scroll down, you'll see two card choices. You have the Venture card and you have the Venture One card. Um, either one of those, if you sign up for those cards, um, we'll get some loot for the show. We actually get a decent amount of loot. So it's a, it's the best way to help us out on the podcast. Um, and then there are a lot of really great benefits to these. I mean, Gina and I were able to get a big portion of our trip paid for by the rewards that we got off those cards. Um, so definitely check them out. All the information will be on there. Um, but like I said, it's the best way to help us. Uh, another way that you can help out the show is if you sign up for Audible, if you use um, the link below for an Audible trial. So you get a free trial at Audible, which is 30 days for free. You'll get a free book. Um, and anybody who signs up using our code, which I think is audibletrial.com backslash and love the process. I'll put the link below. Um, but if you use that, we'll also get a little bit of money. Only if you haven't signed up for Audible yet or before. So if you're a new listener to it, it's a great way to get us some loot. I really like Audible. One of the things that I'm doing here now um, as I am putting myself out there as a director and taking these meetings is I have to do a lot more reading. I'm reading a lot more graphic novels, I'm reading a lot more books, and uh, I'm going to use my Audible trial to listen to stuff as I sit in fucking LA traffic. <laughs> so uh, definitely check it out. Um, all right, enough fucking rambling. Uh, let's get back to the show. How often do you get to go to set? Do you ever get to go to set? Here and there, not that often though. Yeah, because you're trapped in the room, uh, color correcting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's usually not much for me to do on set. So when you take on a big gig, because right now you work on feature films, you do television stuff. Do you guys do commercials and stuff like that, or is it all? Oh yeah, we do a bunch of commercials. Yeah, and the, the commercials are a, a, a lot quicker, right? Those turn around and definitely, and it, it lasts in a day. You know, you could do multiple commercials in a day, multiple clients. Yeah. I mean, it's just so much that goes into it. How many spots, are there multiple versions of the spots, how VFX heavy they are, stuff like that. Yeah, right, right, right. So how many dudes, if you bring in a project, is it just you taking care of it? Do you have people working for you to conform stuff? Like, how does the workflow work? Well, it depends. So, like, 
if it's a commercial, it's what's just called like a soft conform. It's not the actual final conform of it. So we'll just put the shots in order, you know, of the cut, but not the exact. So, uh, because then it goes to VFX and gets worked on after color. Uh, mm -hmm. For features and TV, it gets conformed before it gets to me. So I get the final conformed piece with everything cut in VFX. I mean, obviously, as you color the process, like you'll get more VFX as you keep going. Titles eventually come in and then. I usually have the ability to separately grade titles over image. Um, nice. Yeah. So there's uh, every every show is unique in its own way with something usually, and uh, but that's the, the big thing. Like the people working for me is like, yeah, we have conform artists and in-house um, effects artists and stuff like that who will help and get it all together, help with opticals and, and any kind mm -hmm. of layers or dissolves and stuff like that that need to get done. So what is your favorite stuff to work on? Like, what do you like? What do you like the best? I like working on stuff that's well shot. That's the, that's always the best <laughs> stuff to work on. Well, that, that uh, must be inspiring and, and also make your life easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you, like, what do you, uh, what do you mean? What my favorite stuff, like comedies versus dramas or, or like television versus film? Like, like, do you like long format stuff? Do you like movie stuff? Do you like just doing commercials? Like, do you like being in the long haul? Like, what do you like? I mean, everything, they all have different advantages to them. And I, so I will say it is fun to work on stuff that is shot well and people who are collaborative, you know, and coming in and really just want to create something cool. And that could be on features TV or commercials, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot, so much stuff you can do these days. So it's just, Anyone who shoots something awesome and has some rad ideas is just great to like a, a client that just really wants to collaborate and like come up with cool stuff. And for the television stuff, so like like you worked on uh, you do uh, Blue Blood and uh, you've done the Purge TV show yep. and all that stuff. Rockmire. Is there like a look that uh, you guys develop on like the pilot or like the first couple of episodes, and then you just sort of have those on the lockdown where you're like, okay, so here's. It's like a bleach bypass look or something. Yeah, so everything um, – so yes uh, and no. So like Blue Bloods, I only came in on the sixth season and we're about to start ten. Wow. Um, so there was kind of already an established look. I still bring my own flavor to it, you know, but it's like, you know, the if you've ever seen the show, the dinner scenes are always very warm and welcoming. Uh, mm -hmm. Certain precincts are cooler. Uh, certain offices are a mix of warm and blue. So like that kind of stuff's established and then – I just do my own version of it that kind of makes it sing. Uh, something mm -hmm. like The Purge, I did do the pilot. So like, I, and um, the DP was in New Orleans. He was still shooting when we started coloring it. So there were multiple sessions we would do virtuals where he'd be able to see what I'm working on in real time. And he would basically describe to me, like, this is how I like the contrast. And then I kind of like help shape that. And then that kind of carries through for the rest of the show. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, it's so fascinating. And then are you guys mastering or are you guys just sending uh, final files and then they do all the mastering on their end? Um, for TV, we're mastering. Um, for cinema, you know, we'll master the DCP and then other people will take it and make the, you know, distribute it. But yeah, got we're it. doing the mastering. Got it, got it, got it. Interesting. Um, that's cool. And I mean, let's just talk about Company 3. I mean, the offices in New York are fucking awesome, dude. You guys have, like, a really rad workspace. Like, how many color suites do you guys have there? We have, um, currently, it's uh, one, two, uh, seven color suites and the theater. 
It's so crazy. But certain rooms are flexible and can be adjusted to be one thing or another, depending on needs at certain times. And yeah, and then you guys have like an amazing roof deck, really cool workspace. It was wild. And I, I think it was like the first time I've walked into our office and you're like signing NDAs as you sort of walk into the space because there's so many secretive projects that you guys are working on. Yeah, we, you know, every project is is basically an NDA. You got to keep it, um, respect the privacy of the filmmakers. Yeah, it's super cool, man. It's really a really cool space. I was very honored. And I felt very lucky to be in there and be sitting with you for that period of time. It was a it was a blast, dude. Yeah, man. No, it was super fun working with you. I mean, I think we hit it off right away and kind of yeah. came up with a super awesome look. Well, I've had some younger filmmakers throw me some questions. And one of them uh, was, all right, look, if you're an upcoming filmmaker, uh, what is the best way to sort of uh, be able to uh, appeal to like an experienced colorist? Like how do, how do people contact you or how do you find folks? Or is it just work that comes through Company 3? Or are you also looking for different filmmakers on your own? Like, how does your stuff work? A little bit of everything. I, you know, I, I'm in a great place where people do come seek us out. You know, I just also just do a lot of networking. A lot of people I know and friends are in the business and you just kind of chat and talk and you get a lot of work also like of recommendations from other DPs and a lot of repeat business from certain DPs. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's just putting yourself out there and, and, and seeing who likes your work and who wants to collaborate. Yeah, dude. And I've noticed too, a lot of colorists are really taking advantage of Instagram these days and posting a lot of the work on Instagram. And, um, there's a, there's a lot of access to that because of the internet. Now. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the preferred social media platform of the film business. <laughs> yeah. so. I mean, I feel like of any, uh, you know, visual based business, I mean, even in the ad world, I, I know that most, uh, creative directors are literally hiring photographers, stylists, food stylists through Instagram. They don't even look at their fucking websites anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just with the tiles. It's an easy way to like, look and get a snapshot of someone's work. Yeah, man. Super cool. And then, um, uh, so do you, I can't remember, do you live in Manhattan? Do you stay in Manhattan? Yep, I'm in Manhattan. Such a cool thing, man. And you've been in New York for what, how long now? Over 15 years? Yeah, I, I grew up in, in the area. And so I went to school in Massachusetts and then I've been in New York the rest of my life pretty much. Yeah, and is it still, is the, is the city still exciting to you or oh, is it? Uh... Of course. I mean, the food and <laughs> art scenes are just constantly evolving. So there's always new things to see and try and it's the best. Well, we still have to go out and drink. Like next time I come to New York, we got to go out and get some beers and stuff. Please like that, hit me right? up. Yeah. That'd be amazing. What, uh, what part of the city is your favorite city to go out and drink? Um, I live and work in Chelsea. So just, you know, usually just in the neighborhood, but you know, it's, it's, it's I don't have a certain area per se. It's more just the need to explore and, if, you know, seeing whatever I want to hit up, you know, it's, it's so easy to get around. So, there's uh, yeah. unlimited options. Yeah. For sure, dude. For sure. I love that city. Like multiple times, because I went to film school there for about a year, which was fun, years ago. And then anytime I go back to that city, I'm always going on what I call bar safari. So I end up going out and going to as many bars, as many places I, as I possibly can. Because uh, the thing I love about New York is that in every nook and cranny, in every basement, there's some bar, there's some business, there's some restaurant that's just nestled away you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah i mean there's that's like new york real estate is the craziest thing in the world because <laughs> you can look at a building and think like okay it's just a building and you go inside and it's something completely different and like you said basement and roof decks everywhere yeah it's so it's really cool man it's one of my favorite places to hang out and i think that's 
part of the appeal I know for being a um, a filmmaker and an artist in Boston and, and working with a lot of ad agencies, they'll want to go work with dudes like you because they also want to go hang out yeah. in New York. It's a good excuse to come down, right? Yeah, go out and hang out in New York, go out drinking, have fun. Um, it's it's really cool. And I bring this stuff up because it really is kind of a fun adventure when you're working with a professional colorist like you guys and, and um, because you are involved as a director, you are involved as a director of photography, but it's sort of, you're backseating it. Um, I mean, the room itself is like, it's almost like the control deck of like a battleship, you know what I mean? Bit, Where yeah. there's, there's different tiers. And so the colorist sort of sits down in the front of the room and all the monitors up in front of you and you sit up a little bit higher and they have like these little tables set up. Um, it's a, it's a wacky thing. It's a wild thing to be a part of. Yeah. It's just making sure that the client always has the best line of sight to the, the monitor that they need to be looking at. Yeah. You don't man. want anyone like turning their head the whole time or something, you know? And how do you, cause you must have to manage a bunch of egos when you're in that space. Like, how sure. do you, do you, is it, are you just trying to, do you keep your mouth shut or are you like, how do you filter through like, you know, five or six different opinions, like one coming from a producer and one coming from a director? Yeah. Like how do you process that? Well, the thing is a lot of times people will actually be saying the same thing or they'll be arguing over something that's like not that far off. So like usually you, you could find some sort of middle ground that makes everyone happy. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, uh, it's just getting a temperature on the room and, and just feeling out because, you know, obviously everyone's got a different personality and just figuring out what works best with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't even consider that you forget that when you're in that space, most of the, one of the big parts of our business is that everybody's uh, trying to figure out how to translate what is in their brain out of their mouth. And that's the most difficult thing in such a way that you can understand exactly what it is that they've, they're seeing in their mind definitely, and what they're trying to translate to you. Um, and I've seen that. I've been in spaces, I've been in other color suites where the arguments do happen and people are, are, are trying to uh, pinpoint exactly what they're saying. And a good colorist is almost, almost like a therapist in a certain point where it's, they're just listening to everybody going, okay, I think I know what you guys want. Let me just do this. Um, and you know what? How do you prefer to work with people? Do you like people that sit over your shoulder and fucking nitpick the whole time? Or do you like broad strokes? Like, what do you prefer? Well, every job will have both of those things, you know? So like you need to start with broad strokes, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't want to just sit down and be like, all right, let's brighten the eyes. Well, it's like, well, what is the scene going to look like first? Maybe you don't need to do that. Right. Um, so, you know, broad strokes, I think starting is always best. And then once the broad strokes are all put together, everything matches, your looks kind of set, then you can go and, and get much more specific, you know, oh, like let's bring up that piece of the background. Let's knock down that light. Let's open up a half side of the face and, you know, or bring down key light, whatever needs to be done. So it's a little bit of both. Um, and just getting through everything in a, in, in a nice orderly way. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're essentially just trying to further drive the viewer's perspective to where the artist wants them to go, correct? Yeah. You're just trying to do everything you can. You know, collaboration is the name of the game. It's just, it's just working with everybody to kind of like get it to a place that's just awesome and it helps tell a story or push a narrative forward or make a product shine and, and get it going. So here's a question for you. Do you have, is there an image that comes to your mind? Is there a piece or, or even a shot that you worked on that you think is your best work and why? Uh, I, I 
That's a good question. I don't think there's anything in particular I would say that's like my best. Because uh, I, I like to, I mean, I work, I like to work in a way there. I'm proud of everything I do because everything goes out there in the world and I, I take the time and effort to come up mm-hmm. with a look and put it together. Um, and, and, and dude, that's a good safety answer. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> but is, is there, though. is there an, is there an image that like, you're like, fuck yeah. Is there one that you just sort of, how often do you get up and walk out of that room and go, fuck yes. You know what I mean? Like, like when was the last time that happened? Today, man. I mean, I, I, seriously, I'm not joking with you. Like every day, like there's something awesome. Like there's like, even like there's, even if it's something that's like a student film, you can just find an awesome shot in every project and just be like, whoa, that's really cool the way that was done. And like, or, whoa, I'd never thought I'd make it look like that, but we did it. Or, you know, oh my God, it's just like a baby crawling around a room, but we made it bleach bypass and it looks awesome or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, for some listeners, they may be listening to this going like, okay, guys, you're just adjusting colors and you're shifting things. But honest to God, it's like when you're in the edit room and you're starting to cut footage and you're going through bins, especially like on who's there, when you're doing a horror movie, Horror movie footage is the most boring fucking thing because most of the time it's it's people walking down hallways not saying yeah. anything. But even that, like, I, just, like, there's an image in my head of just like like the purple like silhouette we did, and like that's awesome, like that's so cool, like you know, like people aren't pushing that color that way, you know. It's, it's like literally every project, there's like an image in my head that sticks out and that like is really awesome and really proud. Of. See, that's cool. That's cool because that's that's where the passion is for me, and I, that's what I want to hear from you. Is this? Is is the stuff that keeps you going because you put in some fucking crazy hours on this shit, right? Yeah, man, it's nonstop. You know, like weekends, nights, mornings, you name it. Yeah, post production is res- like relentless. Yeah, absolutely relentless. My, my uh, friends always yeah. ask me, like, "You're working on Sunday night?" I'm like, "Do you watch TV on Sunday night?" Then I'm working. <laughs> you know, and obviously, I don't work every Sunday night, but just as an example. Yeah, because you, sometimes you're on call and stuff for that, right? Yeah, I'm like, always on call. If a client calls up and they need, they, you know, they have deadlines too. So I'm here to help them get to their deadlines as easily as possible. Yeah. And then oftentimes they're hitting you in a panic, right? Because it's like we were trying to get the edit done and we had to go back and forth. And now the edit's changed a bit. We need you to change some shots. We need you to adjust some stuff. So, I mean, how often do you get in those panic phone calls? Oh, a couple you know? times a week. <laughs> yeah, you do everything you can to avoid it, but, you know, Every client gets their own curveballs at them, whether it's an agency, a studio, you name it. Yeah, for sure, dude, for sure. So, um, is there, uh, and uh, you've worked with some amazing artists, you've worked with some amazing DPs, you've worked on some amazing stuff. Is there uh, any new talent out right now? Are there any specific people that you, that you really want to work with? That I want to work with or have worked with? that you want to work with? Is there people that you're like hunting for and you're like, oh, I'd love to fucking grade this guy's stuff or this woman's stuff? Uh, not, no, no, I don't really think of it like that. To be perfectly honest with you, there, like there's, I mean a huge, you know, there's like, it's like everybody and nobody at the same time. I hate to give you like that kind of answer, but like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, it's a good question. Let me think. If I think of it, I'll come back to you with someone specific, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone. All right. Well, how about this? Uh, what was the last movie that or that you saw that you didn't work on that you thought was fucking great and really cool? Hmm. The last movie I saw. And not to put you on the spot. No, but, no. You know. I'm thinking. Um, 
I love uh, what Stefan does on the DC movies. Uh, like Wonder Woman looked awesome. Yeah. Um, Nakamura, who graded uh, Sicario 2, I think looked badass. Oh, that movie looked so cool. Yeah. Um, I collaborate with Tom Poole a lot, and he's just like such a, like, you know, all, you know, he did Spotlight and 12 Years a Slave, and, you know, just mm-hmm. a big fan of his work. Uh, yeah, those are some of my favorites. The DC stuff is interesting because the DC stuff is almost bleach bypassy. It's like a crunchy black kind of thing. A lot of Zack Snyder stuff is yeah, that way, Zach right? stuff's it's cool. Like, it's just like really nice contrast and, and rich colors. But if you know you go through the palettes of his films, there, there's a lot of stuff going on in there, and it's, it looks really great. Yeah, so wild. And you know, you take for I, I'm sure you take it for granted. Most people don't really register color contrast, and a lot of people don't really register that. Yeah, I mean, it's, normally when people are identifying color, it's because of mistakes. It's like the good color you don't notice; it's subconscious. Yeah, and I mean, it took. I remember when I first fucking started, and I started learning how to shoot, and I started really examining photography. Uh, my mind was blown when I saw outside as blue. Like that was a huge thing. Yeah. Cause before that it never really registered to me. It was like, okay, that's outside light and that's what the outside light is. And it isn't until you see the difference between like a tungsten unit and a window. And especially if you see it through a camera and you're sort of setting your white balance for either tungsten or daylight, uh, the camera doesn't have that same auto white balance that your eye does. And it really sticks out. And I remember specifically being like, holy shit, I had no idea that outside light, even during the day, and strong sunlight is technically blue, you know? Yeah, no. Pretty cool stuff. Right, no, that's awesome. You know? And so, uh, for me, it was at that level where I started to learn about color and I started to get into that through photography and, and uh, cinematography. And then with the advent of, like, really amazing color grading software, uh, being able to go in there and actually dial in everything specific. So, you know if you wanted to look at it in layman's terms where a Spielberg did Schindler's list and he was able to just dial in that little girl's red coat. I mean, that's the most basic element yeah. of, of color grading. Like you can sit there and go, look, I want to have not only do I want to subtly change the, the bit of green on someone's couch, but I also want to uh, uh, bring up the brightness and affect the uh, cosmetics on that actress's face. And this software can track really amazingly at this point. So you can create power windows and the movement's super cool. Um, there's so much done in grading. And I think... Yeah, we're getting like a new version of the color corrector like once a year at this point. And the toolbox just keeps expanding. Yeah, and what are you guys coloring with these things? Uh, I'm on DaVinci Resolve mostly. Yeah, Resolve, right? Yep. Resolve seems to be the big workhorse for a lot of people these days. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, dude. And, and the, the tracking in that program just blows my mind. You know, and how simple it is how simple it is to do power windows, how fast you can do all that, especially if you're running with a hardware console. It's really crazy. For sure. You can, um, I mean, the, again, the tools are just expanding. So you can do, it, it's approachable, but you could still get as specific as you could possibly ever need to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really rad stuff. Really cool. Um, so let's ask this. So let's say that I'm going to do a movie and I'm approaching you right now and I'm like, hey, Andrew, I'm doing a movie. Like, where would you, what would make your life easy? Like, what would make your life easier? What would, what would excite you about this? Like, do you want to be involved with the pre and then what would you like to do? We talked a little bit about before about doing camera tests, but walk me through it. Like what would make your life easier if we were starting tomorrow? Um, yeah, like it's like, um, that's what I say. 
you approaching me and just having a conversation is always just a great way to start. Just telling me like just the story, what it's about and what you're thinking that should look like. Hmm. So that, that dialogue is kind of sparking lots of different thoughts in my head and your head. And we're kind of coming up with ideas and then you're like, all right, cool. I'm either going to shoot, say Alexa, or I'm going to shoot Venice. And then you rent both the cameras, go out and shoot them for a day. And then you can kind of come and sit down and be like, okay, I was thinking about this should look like that. And then we talked about this. So then when we sit down already to look at your first footage, there's ideas going. And then, like I mentioned, I like getting stills throughout production, if that's possible from a DP. So kind of an idea of like what's been shot, you know? So like I'm seeing the different locations, seeing if there's a lot of night or day and stuff like that. And then ultimately, uh, yeah, once we get the first cut, you know, rough cut or something from editorial, just being able to, again, start that dialogue up again. Yeah, super cool, man. And are you noticing, I know about it, but let's talk to the audience about it. Do you notice like major differences between, let's say the Sony cameras and the Alexa cameras, like color wise? There's definitely, everyone has their nuances. Um, they're getting closer and closer. You know, they're, they're, you, can, uh, you can make a lot of cameras look very similar these days, but then every camera definitely has its like little nuances. Mm. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, yeah. No, this is good. This is good. I'm just checking in here on the time. We have enough for a uh, podcast? Yeah, man. We got a bunch of shit here, dude. It's been good. Uh, let me just see if I've missed anything on my questions here. No, all that stuff's good. Yeah, I think it's great, man. Is there cool? Yeah, and I'm not BSing you. Like, there's like, I, there really isn't like someone I'm just like dying to work with. You know, it's just. <laughs> no, I, I believe you. I totally believe you. Yeah. And I, I think it's really great to hear that you are inspired by every project that you work on and that you find like the beautiful stuff and all these different jobs. I believe it. I've seen that happen. I've seen that in rooms before. Um, and it's cool. And, and like I said, working with you, I can feel your passion, I can see it. Uh, when you're working there and how engrossed you get when you're doing the color grading. Oh, so. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just so lucky to be in a creative field. You know, it, 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 I really just am so, you know, so happy to do it. Yeah, man. Well, look, I think this is a good part to end the episode. I think it's a good space. Is there um, anything that you would, uh, any sort of advice that you would give uh, upcoming colorists, someone that wants to get in the field, uh, how do you think they should get started? What do you think they should do? I'll just say it's not going to happen overnight. You got to you gotta learn. You got to be an assist, be an apprentice, learn from another colorist you can, and then spend as much as your off hours getting your hands on any kind of footage you can and just, and just breaking it down and putting it back together and getting a feel for how images react and how certain LUTs react on certain images. And don't say no to anything if, you know, when you're starting out. If you've got a friend who's got anything short, a dock, whatever, just color it. And that's the best way to learn. And that's an interesting thought too, because often you're getting hired for, do you feel like you're getting hired for your style or do you feel like you're getting hired for your work, work ethic? Like what do you think is important? A little bit of both. I think, I mean, style is the most important thing. You know, most, if you have a style and you don't have a work ethic, you're, you're not going to get anything done. So you need both. So, you know, I think for the most part, you're getting hired for your style and, you know, if there's a certain project I've done that resonates with someone, they're like, man, I really like how you colored that. I'm hoping that we could collaborate with something like that. 
that's how you're getting a lot of the work. That's cool, man. That's rad. Um, I think that's really good advice. Um, and like I said, I think this is a good this is a good time to end the episode here. I usually let uh, the subjects sort of plug anything that they want to plug. Is there any uh, websites? Is there any projects? Is there anything that you want to sort of promote? Yeah, you can just uh, check me out on the Company 3 website. It's company3.com. And then you go to artists and Andrew Geary is my full name. Uh, you get my bio and some of my work. Otherwise, you can check out some of my stuff on Instagram. It's at drewg37. And then, uh, yeah, I'm constantly updating it and putting my new work out there. And that's where I'm at. Thanks so much for being on the show. And it was really cool that you can give us some insight on on what a pro colorist is doing (laughs) these days. It was great talking to you, Mike. I appreciate it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Drew is one of my favorite people um, in the world. And uh, actually, a bit of an update, since we've done the show, since we've come out here to Los Angeles, one of the, the first networking events I went to was a summer party put on over at Company 3. It was amazing. Uh, Company 3 has got their Los Angeles office, I think it was in like West Hollywood. Um, and these guys are doing amazing stuff. And Drew's actually doing new stuff. Like if you're watching The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, he's working on that show. He's doing all the coloring on that show. Figured I'd update that to you guys. Um, But yeah, we got to hang out at their networking party and they flew in all of their colorists from all over the world. So I was surprised to see Drew there because he usually works out of New York. Really excited to see him there. I got to mingle with a bunch of colorists, a bunch of filmmakers. I actually met some folks that are going to be on the show at that. Um, So it was a really fun thing to be a part of. And I was able to get the invite because uh, I've worked with them before. So kind of in the club, which is super cool. Um, so if you're looking for uh, color work and you want to go to the top and you have a really good project, uh, reach out to someone like Drew. And I know he, I think he gave his uh, Instagram handle uh, on the episode, but I'll put it below. I know he reaches out and talks to a lot of great filmmakers and young filmmakers. Um, and Company 3 likes working with the next generation of folks. So. I would definitely check them out. Definitely follow those links. And I really appreciate you guys listening to the show. This is the, I think this is the last of my archived episodes. Um, Next up is episode 50, 50, 50. Yeah, 50 episodes. I'm pretty excited about it considering I've just been doing this part time. Uh, I know there are other people out there that have like fucking 500 episodes at this point, but Jesus Christ, get a life guys. (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i'm super excited the next episode is going to be really great i've got a couple of guests lined up um i don't know exactly which one it's going to be yet so i don't want to put my foot in my mouth and say anything about it um so yeah thanks for listening to the show everybody um and as we book this new season i just put up some stuff today on instagram Um, You can go there and drop us some suggestions. So if there's somebody that you would like to hear me drink beers with, uh, leave the name. You know, if it's a musician, a chef, a filmmaker, I'm looking for ideas and I want to get people on the show that you guys want to hear. So definitely communicate with me. Um, But that's it. I think that's it. And I just want to say again, because I don't plug him enough. Thank you to Code Electro. For letting me use his music. His music has become the sound soundtrack, the soundscape, the score of this show. 
Um, and he has let me do it for 49 episodes at this point. So if you haven't checked him out yet, I'll put the link below. Go check out Code Electro and go pick up one of his vinyls. They're really fucking awesome. All right, that's it. I will see you guys next time.